Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, General Manager at Wisports.net, and your host each week for the WSN podcast, right here on your platform of choice, whether you're listening in on iTunes or SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, I think we're on Google Podcasts as well, all kinds of different places that you can find the WSN podcast, and we certainly thank you for joining in and following along on what's going on in high school athletics. Obviously, we're right smack dab in the middle of the fall sports season, so we are going to spend some time a little bit later in today's episode talking about uh, high school football. Quick peek back at last week, including the game of the week between Kimberly and Fond du Lac, and then kind of a uh, recap of uh, uh, where things stand a little bit with some surprise teams in 2019. We've talked a lot about the teams that have surprised because of the struggles that they have had. We'll kind of provide an update on where things are with those teams, but also there are some teams that are on the other end of the spectrum that are uh, flourishing this year, that are off to very good starts after some very significant struggles in the recent past. But before we get into that, we're going to dive into some discussions that have come out of the WIAA area meetings this week, specifically and including the area meeting that I was at today, hosted by the WIAA in Mauston, for schools in kind of the west central part of the state, and many schools in the Mississippi Valley Conference, the Cooley, Dairyland, um, Scenic Bluffs, uh, trying to remember all the different schools that are there, but uh, kind of the west central part of the state. This is This was the third of seven meetings that will be held around the state of Wisconsin. The first two uh, were held earlier this week. There's three next week and then one the following Monday. So again, it, it, the area meetings are a chance for the WI staff to get out and connect with the members, the member schools, update them on the things that are going on within the association from a uh, administrative level, some of the constitutional uh, items that that are on the agenda potentially for next spring, anything that might be coming down the pike in terms of legal issues or other things that are um, facing the association uh, and high school sports in general, and it's also a time for the schools to provide feedback and and information and any clarifications, etc., uh, to the staff itself. Uh, just kind of a a chance for everybody to get together because outside of the annual meeting, which is, you know, there's 500 some people there, over 600 maybe when you add in all the the staff, etc. So it can be difficult to kind of get those, um, you know, low level or, or uh, individualized types of conversations and whatnot. These area meetings are the chance for the membership to get together and uh, just talk about what's going on in the association. If we think back to last year at the area meetings, and we talked about them on the podcast, talked about them on social media, et cetera, quite a bit, and they ended up being some pretty significant uh, items of discussion for a while. Last year, there were a few discussion items uh, that that, uh, featured some breakout topics and discussion at the area meetings, including uh, things that ended up on the annual meeting agenda, such as the uh, rule that would prevent a felony Uh, a player charged with a felony or convicted of a felony from participating until their 
uh, sentence or case was adjudicated by the legal system. That one did end up passing, by the way, I guess informally, right or wrong. Uh, you could call it the Deontay Long rule. Grew out of the uh, concerns by some members that uh, Deontay Long was convicted of a felony, was on an ankle monitoring bracelet, and participated in the WI State Basketball Tournament in uh, 2018. Um, and then also last year for discussion was a, a rule aimed at curbing super teams, if you will, and, and you could dub this the Nicolet rule, uh, where it would have prevented eligibility from transfers where the players had pre-existing athletic relationships with other players on their new team or coaches. So again, trying to prevent super teams from forming. But at the annual meeting uh, in August, or excuse me, in April of this year, that particular amendment did get defeated. So there were some pretty significant items on the agenda last year. This year, there wasn't anything quite like that. It was uh, a little bit laid, more laid back. There wasn't quite as much, um, you know, in terms of big ticket items on the agenda. One of the things that was brought forward during the open uh, forum portion of the meeting by Aaron Mack, the athletic director at Wisconsin Dells High School, was something that the Wisconsin Wrestling Coaches Association is asking to be read into for discussion at all seven of the area meetings around the state. And that involves the uh, propo a proposal that the wrestling coaches will be putting together to institute and develop a girls wrestling state tournament. Currently, girls can wrestle on, on high school wrestling teams, but they do have to wrestle within the boys' competition. They do have to go through the boys' uh, playoff process for regional, sectionals, and state. And uh, there's a, uh, a, a proposal being worked on by the wrestling coaches that would um, make for an individual girls' wrestling state tournament. Uh, so that was uh, read in, and, and we'll get more information on that down the road. Um, a little bit of discussion on it, but uh, you know, something that I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it's going to go. Uh, According to the WIAA at today's meeting, there was only 77 girls that participated in wrestling, excuse me, wrestling last year, which, you know, isn't a ton of, uh, of athletes, especially when you break it down into, what is it, 13 or 14 weight classes, um, you know, difficult to maybe justify a separate tournament for that low of a number of uh, participants, um, I don't know that it's going to get a ton of support. I don't know that it's something that's going to get passed right away here, but something that certainly could be discussed down the road. And as the WIAA pointed out, there are other sports that are not official WIAA sports currently that do have maybe some higher levels of participation that are, are growing. Some of the fastest growing sports in the uh, in high school athletics, not necessarily in Wisconsin, but across the country. Uh, amongst girls, I believe it was archery and rugby were the fastest growing sports in terms of participation. Here in Wisconsin, lacrosse is getting bigger, uh, bowling. Um, you know, there's some other sports that have maybe some higher levels of participation than what you see in girls wrestling. So we'll see where it goes. This was a, uh, again, a proposal that's coming forward from the Coaches Association. As the WI also pointed out, there's been no administrators, no schools that have contacted them and said, we want to do a wrestling tournament. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, the WIAA did provide some uh, 
examples of what they think will be some proposed constitutional changes that will be on the agenda in April of 2020. Um, nothing earth shattering, but one of them would uh, better define and, and, and define what a boarding school is, what a resident school is. And the reason for that is uh, current WIA eligibility rules say that you have to, to, to be eligible to participate, you have to participate and go to school in the, um, the, the school district of where your parents live, or you can open enroll and then potentially you're subject to uh, transfer uh, regulations depending on when that open enrollment occurred. Or if you attend a boarding school, that is considered your, uh, your school of residence. So if you go to a boarding school, you are eligible to participate at that boarding school. Um, however, there are some, uh, apparently some schools or a school that are looking into adding dormitories and, and becoming a boarding school. And uh, the WI is just looking to clarify what that means and, and what a definition of a boarding school is. Another thing that uh, is kind of coming forward in, in a specific example right now involves a school that transitions from a single gender school to a co-educational school. Specifically, this would apply to St. John's Military Academy, which has traditionally been a boys-only institution. And in high school athletics and the WIAA, if you're a single-gender school, your actual enrollment is doubled to determine playoff participation or playoff uh, uh, qualification and what division you'll be placed in for the playoffs. So, for instance, a school like Marquette, which is an all-boys school, they actually have an enrollment of uh, 900 or so, but for playoffs, they are that enrollment is doubled. So their enrollment figure is 1800 something. Same thing with St. John's, which is an all boys school, uh, divine savior, holy angels, which is an all girls school. St. St. Joan Antigua, uh, is another all girls school. Uh, but St. John's is adding, uh, girls to their school. I think, I think they said they have the WI said they have 13 girls in school this year, 170 or 180 some boys. Uh, so does that become a, co-educational school now where you no longer double their enrollment. Um, what the WIA is proposing is that a school would be considered a single gender school until they reach a, a threshold where it is at least 60-40, one way or another, 60% boys, 40% girls, or vice versa, uh, would then become a co-educational school for divisional placement and no longer have their, uh, their enrollment figure doubled for playoff qualification. So again, not real significant items. I mean, these are, you know, uh, impact a couple of instances, maybe. Um, but those are some constitutional changes that, that are expected to be on the agenda at the April area, excuse me, annual meeting. One other uh, item of note, uh, there's a, a request from some schools to bring uniformity to what it means to have unlimited non-school summer contact. Almost all sports, except for football, have unlimited coaching contact, non-school, in the summertime. Currently, the summertime is defined as your last day of school at your school until the first day of school at your school. However, schools do not have the same uh, end and beginning dates. So there's some schools that, uh, whether it's a private institution or maybe uh, charter schools or schools that have construction where they're getting out earlier, <clears throat> they're out before Memorial Day. Many public schools, especially this year with all the, the rain and snow days, ended up going into the second week in June. So 
you know, the, the, the coaches could have that unlimited non-school contact for a week or two more at those schools that get out early. So there's the idea of, well, let's standardize what summertime means, maybe from the Friday before Memorial Day to, you know, school starts or September 1 or whatever it might be. Uh, so that could be on, uh, is expected to be on the agenda as well. Something I had uh, kind of tweeted about that I saw in the meeting notes and agenda uh, was talked about briefly, but didn't actually get a ton of discussion necessarily, but the idea that the WIA receives transfer waiver requests many times, and, and increasingly one of the reasons that uh, people list for transferring and trying to gain immediate ac- uh, athletic eligibility is bullying or hazing. And it has kind of become a little bit of a catch-all of, okay, well, I'm going to say I want to transfer to this school because I was bullied. And there's not a, a formalized process per se or, um, or what have you. And so what the WIA is going to, to do now is they're going to request documentation, whether it's documentation from uh, a police report, whether it's documentation from those uh, instances of bullying be re- being reported to the school administration or athletic director or what have you, so that people can't game the system. People have found out, and, and it, it, it's not anything new, but people are finding ways around the transfer rules that are in place to get immediate academic or immediate athletic eligibility. And one of the ways they're doing it now is saying, I was bullied at my old school, so I should get to go here and, and play immediately. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want to see that. You, bullying is a, a serious issue, certainly. Um, and for people to abuse that and, and make that claim just to, to get eligible for athletics right away is unfortunate. And, and the WI is trying to kind of quash that before it gets uh, out of hand. And again, if people are saying that they're bullied and that's the reason that they're transferring, they want to see documentation. Um, there was a, a couple items that the WIA did involve uh, breakout sessions in where they broke into smaller groups and had people discuss uh, uh, a few different things. One of them involved the idea of how the the idea and concept of extra play and extra opportunities has, uh, has changed and progressed over the years. Uh, and this would be, for instance, the what used to be the fifth quarter rule in basketball and now the third half rule where uh, players can play up to three halves in a, in a day uh, or in baseball where players can have extra innings that they can play in so that they can play in a JV and varsity level competition, for instance. The idea being initially when these uh, were put into place that it would allow you know, kind of the bottom end of the bench kids to get some time maybe down on JV and have the opportunity to play on varsity, or it would allow schools to uh, continue to offer both level or two levels, let's say, of, of uh, JV and varsity basketball if they only had, you know, 12 or 14 kids out, so that they could still field a full team for both of them. Um, you know, it was kind of a uh, what was supposed to be a limited use uh, situation, and for many years there was a waiver process where where schools would have to submit a waiver to be able to have those extra play opportunities. And a few years ago, it changed. Um, the WI membership voted a change where they just, everybody has it. 
and if there's any uh, abuses or violations of it, it's supposed to be reported, self-reported. Um, but the, you know, the discussion is, well, is this, uh, is this allowing me to bring up a freshman that's really good and let him play on some varsity and take opportunities away from the end of bench kids that this whole thing was designed for, um, or, or what? And so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something they discussed and, and not an easy answer. Most of the people there indicated they didn't think it was a real significant issue. You know, a lot of the small schools, and, and there was a lot of small schools there, they kind of need that extra opportunity to field lower level teams where you have uh, a player that plays a half on JV or two halves on JV and then still have the opportunity to come in on varsity just in case something happens or to, uh, to fill out a team or whatever. Uh, so that was one of the things that was talked about. And then the other thing was uh, kind of a review of um, some technology things and, and what schools would like to see f from a technology perspective from the WIAA, uh, you know, what things the WIAA can do to help schools and athletic directors from a technology standpoint. And we'll see how uh, some of that information goes. So again, nothing earth shattering out of the area meetings. There's three completed so far. There will be three next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then the last one taking place on Monday, uh, the following Monday, which is, uh, I don't know if that's the 20-something, whatever it is. Uh, so seven area meetings around the state. Again, just a, a chance for the WI to get a feel and a pulse on what's going on in high school athletics, Get uh, allow them to communicate uh, directly with the members, and a chance for the members to have that communication with the WIAA staff. Turning our attention to the high school football realm this week. And before we get to things this week, we have to take a look back at last week. And it, it has to begin with yet another incredible game between Kimberly and Fond du Lac last Friday night. Got a chance to watch some of that uh, from our friends over at the uh, uh, Appleton Post Crescent, USA Today Network, Wisconsin. Uh, Brett Christofferson, Ricardo Arguello, uh, live stream that one. Uh, and just a great, great game. Came right down to the end. I mean, neither team, you know, had any significant separation. Uh, it was, I believe it was a one-score game the whole way. Kimberly got a late touchdown. Caleb Frazier went in for a 68-yard touchdown with a couple minutes left. Game goes into overtime, and Fond du Lac had to settle for a field goal uh, on, on the first possession. So then Kimberly got a shot. They converted a fourth and five, ended up scoring a couple plays later, and Kimberly got the win as they found a way once again, as they have done so many times in the last few years. Um, obviously didn't work out last year a couple of times. They lost to Fond du Lac in week one in a close game, lost to Muskego in week, or excuse me, in uh, the state championship game in a very close game. But uh, the sixth time these two teams have met in the last four years, average margin for victory by whoever ended up winning of just four points. The two games that Kimberly and Fond du Lac played last year, I think you can make a strong case, were the two best high school football games in the state last season. And I, I think you can make a very strong case that last week's Kimberly-Fond du Lac game was the best high school football game in the state this year. Might end up being the best high school football game in the state this year. One caveat to add, as we saw last year and a couple of times in the last few years, this might not be the only time these two teams meet up. There's a very good chance they'll end up in the same grouping, maybe meeting up in level three as we saw last year. So this uh, Kimberly-Fond du Lac saga 
is not done yet. We spent a lot of time last week and so far this year talking about some teams that have struggled, some well-documented struggles by defending state champions, by teams that went very far in the playoffs last year, and we'll give an update on some of those and where they stand so far. But I do have to uh, give a shout-out and highlight some teams that are on the other end of the spectrum, teams that have struggled recently for a long time, for many years, that are doing some pretty special things in the early going of this year. At Appleton East, Mark Kromenacher came in there, I think last year was his first year, if I remember correctly, and uh, East had not been in the playoffs since 2014, had had some struggles you know, in a very tough conference with Kimberly and Appleton North, but they're sitting 3-0 and right now and are ranked in this week's Division I coaches poll at number 9. I, I can't recall Appleton East being ranked any time that we have done the coaches poll, and I've been doing it for 11 or 12 years now. Uh, so great to see them taking a big step forward. Lomira is a team that canceled its varsity program just a few years ago, within the last five years, I believe it was, maybe 16 or 17. They are 3-0, and and they have a huge game on Thursday against St. Mary Springs. Lomira under head coach Shane Abregowicz, formerly at uh, Lourdes Academy. He's doing a nice job getting that Lomira program turned around. Greenwood is 3-0. They beat Gilman last week. They've had their struggles. Kenosha St. Joseph had to forfeit a game last year because of low numbers. Matt Rizzo is now the head coach there. He used to be at Kenosha Bradford. He has got things turned around. Kenosha St. Joseph is 3-0 in a loaded, loaded Metro Classic Conference that also includes the two teams that are uh, the featured teams in our game of the week this week, uh, Martin Luther and Racine Lutheran. And, of course, defending Division IV state champion Racine St. Catherine's also in that league. So there's still a ways to go for St. Joseph to kind of prove where they are, but off to a good start at 3-0. But, again, some very difficult games remaining on the schedule. How about a game this week between a pair of 3-0 teams that have come a long way? Rhinelander 3-0, Wausau East 3-0. Both teams have... uh, kind of begged out of their conferences in the last uh, decade or so. Rhinelander got out of the Wisconsin Valley Conference. Wausau East got out of the Valley Football Association a couple years ago. Wausau East uh, you know, just said they couldn't compete. They weren't good enough. They couldn't do it anymore. So they left, went to an independent schedule, and like Rhinelander, served a postseason ban Wausau East served two years of that, but interestingly enough, found out today, I I thought I had heard and and knew that beginning in 2020, which was supposed to be the final year of Wausau East postseason ban, that they were going to be allowed back into the playoffs as long as they went along with their uh, postseason or with their uh, conference placement in the 2020 realignment, which placed them back in the essentially VFA. Um, But they requested and received approval by the WIAA to be eligible for the playoffs this year. This was supposed to be the third of their four-year ban, but they are back eligible this year. They're playing as an independent team. They had tried to get in the Great Northern, and that didn't work out. Um, but Wausau East playing as an independent team. Now, they haven't played you know, gangbusters by any means, but they're 3-0, and and they have a very good shot to get in the playoffs. Kevin Grundy took over that program. He was formerly head coach at Wausau West. 
and he's got them going in the right direction. And if you notice, one of the big things in the turnaround in all of these teams is coaching. New coaches coming in, quality coaches coming in, in establishing a program, and establishing that you can get things going. You can get things turned around. You can get things headed in the right direction. So often, it takes the right coach to be able to do that. It can be done. I mean, if uh, if Wausau East can get back to the playoffs, if Lomira can get back to the playoffs, I mean, it can be done pretty much anywhere. And as I've talked about before and talked about with other people, um, it, coaching matters. It matters a lot. The right coach matters a lot. The right coach with dedication to the program matters a lot. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to disparage in any way coaches that might have been at some of these schools beforehand, but they are these schools are headed in the right direction in large part because of the coaches that they have brought in. And for schools that have struggled and over and over and over and over, if you look at the coaching, a lot of times there is significant turnover. You know, they're going through new coaches every two or three years, not able to find the right coach, not making an investment in finding the right football coaches. Um, by the way, uh, Sauk Prairie is a team I should add to this list as well. Uh, speaking of coaching, their new head coach is uh, Clay Iverson, who is a head coach at Pewaukee for many years and then spent a couple years at McGuanago. He goes to Sauk Prairie, who's uh, traditionally been towards the bottom, if not at the bottom, of the Badger North. And they are 3-0. Now, they've got uh, a long ways to go before you know, we declare them a, a complete turnaround, a big game against Reedsburg this week. But I don't think anybody would have thought Sauk Prairie would be at 3-0. and And a big credit has to go to Clay Iverson, just like all these other programs that we're talking about here where coaching matters. As I've told people and told schools that have been in these situations where they're struggling for a long time, including my alma mater at Richland Center, you have to make an investment in your program. You have to make an investment in finding the right coach. Um, you know, I, I think there's some places, including at Richland Center, where things are moving in the right direction. Uh, Andy Troxel is the head coach at Richland Center. I've known him a long time, in, in fact, going back to high school and before. Um, and I think uh, he's got things going the right way. So we'll see how quickly that can get turned around. But when, when schools stand up and, and they've asked for realignment in the past or say that they can't compete, you know, they, they've got to be moved out of a conference because they're, they're never going to be competitive. Number one, things are cyclical. I mean, it's not like Kimberly was always Kimberly. It's not like, uh, you know, well, Springs has always been Springs, but that's Bob Highland. Um, things are cyclical. And number two, you have to invest in your program. You have to find a coach. Yeah, if you get a good coach that is invested in building a program, you can get things turned around. And so I always kind of scoff at the idea that some people throw out there of, we're never going to compete, we can never be good enough, we'll, uh, we have to be moved, you know, we, we have to go to a conference where we're four times bigger than anybody else in the league, just for us to be competitive. It's just, it's frustrating. And then when you see these kinds of turnaround stories, again, it shows that it can be done. So those are one end of the spectrum, right? The uh, the teams that have been a surprise and are heading in the right direction in the early going. And then as we've talked about before, there are those teams that had some struggles and continue to have some struggles in the early going. There was a list of about 14 schools that were 0-2 in 
after the first couple weeks. Uh, and that included three defending state champions, some other schools that are uh, have gone very deep in the playoffs a number of times, and just kind of give an update on some of where, where some of those stand. Uh, teams that lost last week and are now 3-0 and include defending eight-player state champion Sevastopol, Marquette, who has played a very difficult schedule, but at some point they got to get things going. They got to get things turned around. I mean, they've lost to Muskego, uh, Brookfield East, and Menominee Falls, but they're too talented to be 0-3. And they still have tough games against Brookfield Central and Germantown and Sussex Hamilton's looking very good this year. Got to get things going in the right direction. Rice Lake is 0-3. Uh, first time that they scored was in week three. But as we've seen from them in the past, you know, as the smallest team in the Big Rivers Conference, it's difficult for them in a very small margin for error. And at 0-3 and 0-1 in conference, again, got to get things going. Hudson, same, same deal. They're 0-3. Now, they're the biggest school in the Big Rivers. But that's a talented team that's played a tough conference, but they've got to get going. Ashland was a, uh, a champion, an outright champion of the Great Northern Conference last year. They're at 0-3. Loyal has made some nice playoff runs in the last few years. They are 0-3. There were some teams that did finally pick up win number one last week, and that included defending Division VI state champion Iola Scandinavia, St. Mary Springs, the defending D5 champions, Monona Grove got on the uh, the right side of the win column, which I guess would be the left side. Mount Horror Barneveld had to struggle to get past Portage, but they've uh, they've got their first win. Spencer Columbus Catholic, who was uh, a state semifinalist last year, they picked up their first W. Southern Door, Luxembourg Casco, McFarland, the Spartans went uh, McFarland Spartans that is went undefeated in the regular season last year, and uh, so they are in the win column. So there are some teams that have, at least somewhat, for one week, gotten back on track the right direction. Uh, so we'll see how it all plays out. We'll see how the rest, how these schools do the rest of the way. Not only the ones we just talked about that have struggled, but also those schools that have uh, been a little bit of a surprise so far this year. Can Wausau East keep it going? Can Appleton East get in contention to maybe finish in the top two in the VFA North. Can Lamira challenge St. Mary Springs? You know, those are uh, significant jumps from being 3-0 and and, and uh, you know, in the, mostly in the non-conference to now starting to challenge for the upper echelon in their league. Those are stories that will follow throughout the next few weeks, throughout the rest of the year. This is also the time of the year where we can, I guess, officially start throwing out the P word, the playoffs, because after week four, there are 15 teams that if they win this week, will become playoff eligible. And this becomes our first teaching point of the year regarding the playoffs in high school football and what some of the terminology that we will use and continue to use means. In high school football, not everybody qualifies for the playoffs in the state of Wisconsin. It's all based on uh, your conference record, how you do in conference play. If you finish over 500 in conference, you're guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. For the last uh, handful of years, if you finish exactly 500, you have made it in. And of course, the last few years, there have been teams that have finished 
uh, a number of teams that have finished under 500 in conference and gotten in as well. But if you finish exactly 500, we call that playoff eligible. Again, almost 100% chance you get in, um, but you haven't officially clinched a playoff spot. Clinching is if you finish over 500 in conference. So these teams are playoff eligible with a win in week four. Most of these teams come out of nine team conferences where they play eight conference games. So they have one bye in their conference schedule and the bye comes later in the season. So these, uh, these teams are fitting that bill. West Appear, Regis, Menominee Falls, Bloomer, Cumberland, Northwestern, Wrightstown, Little Shoot, Appleton East, and Kimberly are all playoff eligible. Again, teams from nine team conferences that play eight conference games. Interesting uh, a little bit. The Ridge and Valley is an eight-team league, but uh, I don't know if it was because they had that realignment that took place this year that kind of was a little bit late and already had some schedules set. Their conference schedule, which normally would have been weeks three through nine, they actually ran it from week one all the way through week nine, depending on when bye days were. So DeSoto has three conference wins. They play Highland this week, and if DeSoto wins, they would have four conference wins and hence be eligible for the playoffs. The Milwaukee City Conference plays six conference games. Their week nine crossover does not count in the standings. And so the uh, City Conference has four teams that could pick up win conference win number three this week and thus become eligible. Reagan, South, Marshall, and Riverside. Marshall and Riverside play on Thursday, by the way. So a total of 15 teams that could become playoff eligible with a win this week. And the playoffs will be a continued topic of discussion over the next month and a half here, leading up to the actual release of the high school football playoff pairings and qualifiers on that crazy last final Friday night of the regular season. We'll have a full list at Wisports.net each week of teams that have qualified, teams that have clinched, teams that need one more win to fall into one of those categories, a full breakdown of where everything goes. So you can look for that each week on Wisports.net. But we have some games to get to first. And by the way, the game I'm going to this week, kind of an interesting one that you don't see necessarily uh, many times, Stratford, <coughs> excuse me, the top-ranked team in Division Five, who has destroyed people this year is making the trip down to Columbus. And Columbus is 3-0, and a little bit of a surprise so far. So uh, Columbus, eh, half hour maybe away from Madison with my radio duties needing to stay in Madison. This is a good game for me to get to and check out a Stratford team that I otherwise would not be able to see. And I'm looking forward to seeing them. So I'm in the state finals last year, of course, but a couple of Division One offensive linemen. Don't see that very often, let alone at a small school. So that's the game I will be at. What game will you be at? Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what game you're going to go to. Let us know updates from the games that you go to. You can follow me at TravisWSN. Make sure you follow at FootballWSN for every final score in the state tweeted automatically as soon as it goes final in our system. But until then, I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and we'll see you at a game. <laughs>